If you could open up to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We'll start in verse 7. We will read to verse 21. I will comment mostly on just verse 17. Just the one verse will all my comments be. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by device and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have no benefit to those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify sanctify his people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for always challenging us, always leading us, always guiding us, Father God, always strengthening us, Father God, always tearing down the old man and building up the new, Father. We thank you for your word, Father God, that's a lamp unto our feet, Father God. It's a light unto our path, Father. It brings us face to face with you. And we thank you, that. We thank you for taking us and bringing us into a tight relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ. Bless this sermon, Father God, we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. As you can see by the title, I'm working on verse 17, Obey and Submit. I will read it one more time. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. As we've been speaking about all summer, we've been speaking about some of the dynamics in church, church dynamics, what makes church operate, what makes church work. And we've been looking at the various relationships between the congregation and 
Today we're going to be looking at the relationship between the sheep of God and the leaders of God. And let me make something uh, clear in the beginning. A leader in God's church is nothing but the first among equals. That's all any leader is. A leader is not running out in front. A leader is not better than anybody. A leader is not uh, superior than anybody else. As a matter of fact, sometimes a leader doesn't even know as much in some regards as some people sit in the congregation. Some people in the congregation are very astute when it comes to the Word of God and, and, and theology and doctrine. And sometimes they're even sharpened in some ministers of the Word. But the point is that a leader is the first amongst equals. He teaches he guides, he admonishes, he instructs, he corrects. There's a lot that, that goes on. But this one text here really nails the relationship of the congregation to their leaders. Last week we spoke about the leaders' relationship with the congregation. And we saw how, and we titled last week, Broken Leaders, because a leader is somebody that does not lord authority over people. A leader is not someone who stands in judgment of people. A leader is a broken human being that knows the grace of God and their only desire is to build God's people up in love, in grace. And so we went through the text in Luke 22 last week about how Jesus taught his disciples that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over their people. I mean, it means they dominate. Secular authority on a whole dominates over people. It's, it's almost like a slavery. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He goes, it's not so with you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, he who serves is the greatest in the kingdom. And so we saw how a leader is someone who serves. He doesn't, And Jesus uses himself as an example. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He also says, and to give my life a ransom for many. So we see the, the different dy, uh, dynamics that go on, but I want to spend some time on just one verse of scripture here, in verse 7 a little bit, about obeying and submitting. Uh, I want to start with a question. Obedience and submission. What does that stir up in your heart when you first hear words like that? Obey and submit. You know, we don't, maybe in the military we hear something. This is church, though. You know, maybe this doesn't fit here. This is, a, this is not the proper context for these kind of words, this kind of concept, obey and submit. But what does it stir up in your heart and mind? Does it stir up peace? Does it sound like the fingernails on the blackboard? Do we get our backs up? Do we come a little defensive? Do we sort of pull back a little bit and say, oh, what's, this, what's this sermon all about here? How does this phrase fit well with the kingdom of grace? Where God says, I show no partiality amongst men. How does this fit into this kingdom? We're all equals, aren't we? We're all called to be priests. We're all called to be kings. So how does this work out? Does it sound just too restricting, too severe, too controlling? Submit and obey. Like the, the cold hand of authority. Well, I want you to know the author sees it much differently. The author sees it as protection. 
as Christian growth, as peace, and as joy. He sees it as a happy community with joyful leaders. Not groaning, sighing, crying leaders, but joyful leaders who enjoy spending long hours in study and long hours in preaching and long hours amongst the people and, and mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. The author sees it totally different here. And that's what I want to get behind. What is the author teaching us here? What's the New Testament teaches on the, the relationship between the congregation and leadership? And I want you to know, this is not just about what we have here in our own fellowship. Uh, if I go into someone else's church, I submit to the leadership. If I go to, on vacation, I, I adhere to what the pastors are saying. If I respect that congregation, I know their theology, I know they're right on, I know we're like-minded, and I can say amen to the sermon, then these are the type of people I don't mind submitting to, to a certain degree. We live in a time of defiance. I should say, we live in a time that's characterized by defiance, rebellion, attitudes. People love attitudes, you know? There's nothing sacred. I mean, the, the, the relationship between parents and their children, that's not even sacred no more. There was a time where parents, uh, children really obeyed their parents. I think we're living in a time now it's, it's, it's characterized by uh, defiance and rebellion. I want you to listen to what Paul says in relation to this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Love is a pleasure rather than love is of God. Having the appearance, appearance of godliness, that's religion, but denying its power, that's Christ-likeness. Avoid such people. What a clear exposition of the times, a clear expression of the times we truly live in. I think as we go through that vice list in 2 Timothy, we can look at that and say, wow, that really nails the Daily News headlines. It really nails what's going on, what we see in the school system, what we see in the world, what we might even see in our own home. If we're honest enough, maybe what we see in our own heart. It really does nail the inner attitudes of a society that has gone corrupt. A godless, Christless society that we live in. This is what Paul has succinctly put down these five verses of scripture of the difficult times we live in. And to think that in all the difficult times you just said, it's all the human heart he pointed to. He didn't point to demons. He didn't point to Satan. He didn't point to the aliens. He pointed to you and me. He pointed to what's already in the human heart. We're bent towards rebellion. We're bent towards disobedience. We're bent towards uh, being unsubmissive. Not being uh, compliable. Not, not, not paying attention to the rules. 
compliance is not something we really like to do when we don't want to do it, because it gets in the way of what we want to do. The concept of authority connotes a sense of, sort of like a distrust, an avoidance. When the boss comes in, it's almost like you put on this little, you know, I'll pull back a little bit over here, I'll put the phony face on, or I'll I'll sort of try to hide in the back, I'll do whatever I can to avoid authority. Just want to hide, just want to be stealth, just want to be under the radar, don't want to cause any trouble. And this goes back to the scripture we just read, and there are many others in the Old and New Testament. It seems that a leadership position, not just in the church, but uh, even in the world, is looked on with suspicion. It's the owner. It's it's the CEO. It's the boss. You know, it's the foreman. It's the whatever you want want to call it. But there's this sort of suspicion. Authority. Uh, it just doesn't fit into our 21st century democratic mindset. It just doesn't fit in there. You know. And, and there's probably a good reason, because most authority we know from political, from the White House all the way down into the pulpits, has been corrupted. Authority has been corrupted. There's a reason we don't trust. Who hasn't been burned? Who in the world has not been burned? But we live under authority in one way or another all the time. Every day of our life, everyone in this room is living under some type of authority. Whether it's political, civil, domestic at home or at work, or spiritual as a believer. And there's even that invisible pecking order of the social structures in the, in the world we grow up in. And uh, it's all part of life. And we spoke about what Jesus said last week about how authority in the Christian church is quite different. We don't lord it over. We come to serve, not to be served. We don't come to dominate. We come to liberate. There's a major difference in how the Christian uses authority that, he, that God has given them. And how the world uses it. Ours is to liberate you to be leaders. I don't know if you know that. All Christians are called to be leaders. All Christians are called to be kings. All Christians are called to be uh, priests. All Christians are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Our job is to liberate you to go out and do the work of the ministry. To release the potential and the power that God has given you as you are a child of God. You carry with you life or death. You have the authority to speak to someone who is in sin and tell them about forgiveness. No politician can do it. No military leader can do it. No uh, academia can't do that. Only a Christian has the power of eternal life. Only the Christian. You can't get that in churches. You can't get that in religion. You can't get that in philosophy. You don't get that in business school. If you want to live forever, only a Christian can tell you the good news. You're a leader. You are truly a leader. And our job is not to lord things over you and make you a slave. It's to liberate you and free the world. Tell your family, tell your friends that what Jesus has done. That's our job. So taking into consideration the world's abuse of authority. And our natural tendency to... And throw off all restraints and fight against authority, because that's what our heart is. It's important to understand what the Bible says to the sheep, to the congregation, in connection to heartfelt obedience. 
to spiritual authority. And that's basically the premise. Heartfelt obedience to spiritual authority. So that the kingdom of God can be healthy. Joyful leaders, joyful congregation. Crying leaders, sorrowful congregation. The kingdom of God is supposed to be a happy place to come to. It's supposed to be a, a happy place to come to know God. It's supposed to bring joy. It's supposed to bring peace. And to grow as Christians in their Christ-like image. Christ who was and who is and always will be the perfect example of an undivided, undefiled, unwavering, unbroken, joyful, submissive obedience to God. Jesus loved to obey God. Jesus loved to obey the scriptures. So should we. As 1 John says, his commandments are not burdensome. Our text brings us face to face with the sheep's responsibility to be obedient to church leaders. Who are the shepherds? Leaders, as we saw two weeks ago, have been called by God. This is important. Have been called and taught over many years. A leader is not somebody who sees a sort of uh, uh, an ad. Church leader needs good pay, good benefits. You know, uh, that, that doesn't go that way. Church leader is someone who's not born. A church leader doesn't even qualify to be a church leader. God makes a person a church leader. They're not born, they're made. And it's a painful operation to be trained by the grace of God. A church leader is someone whose heart is fully given over. A healthy church leader is someone whose heart is fully given over to the work of the Lord. As we saw and I said, God's leader has been taught by God over many years to genuinely Here's the word. Genuinely love God's people from the heart. And lead God's people as his precious inheritance. It's it's a hands-off ministry. Do not touch the people of God. That's a healthy leader attitude. But how do we know if a church leader is truly ordained by Christ? Called by the Holy Spirit to be an overseer of the flock of God, which he purchased with his blood. How do we know? Maybe he's just self-imposed, self-ordained, taking a position onto himself. Maybe he's running and God never sent him. How do we really know? Well, the text gives us a couple of different ways. The whole New Testament gives us several ways. First is doctrinal integrity. And we saw that in verse 9. Don't be carried away by various and strange teachings. But let your heart be nurtured by the grace of God. That's number one. Doctrinal integrity. The second one is closely associated with it. It's called moral integrity. Verse 7. Imitate your leaders that first preach the word to you. One you can hear. I should be able to close my eyes and listen to someone preach week in and week out and expound on the text and I can hear doctrinal integrity because the sermon never points me to the leader, 
the sermon always points me to the Savior. And that's what I need. I don't need to know about the preacher's life. I need to know about the Savior's heart. He saved me, not him. In the second one, I should be able to not hear a thing and watch a sermon every time I see the leader. I should be able to watch. I should be able to see a sermon. As verse says, says, imitate those who first preach the word to you. Knowing the outcome of their faith. Between those two and some time and some situations, after a while, someone should be settled in the church and to say, this is surely a safe place. God is in this place. Doctrinal integrity. Moral integrity. These are the sure signs that Christ has ordained someone to take on the ministry and not self-imposed. When these credentials are visible, signs to God's people, then God's people come accountable to that. When you can recognize, because we don't throw scrutiny out. Just because the Bible says obey and submit doesn't mean, well, you know, all right, whatever you say, I'll do it. No, not at all. We don't become gullible. Christianity is not a gullible religion. We scrutinize, like we just said. We look at the moral integrity. We look at the we look at uh, doctrinal integrity. We watch their way of life, and we say, you know something? That's what I can see—a picture of Christ. I can hear it. I can see it. I see the circumstances year in and year out. These are people of God. I'm going to come accountable to them, and it's not an automatic sort of robot accountability, but it's it's as sheep who can hear the shepherd's voice and follow. That you can hear the voice of God. That the sermons, the counsel, the prayer, the exhortations, and the fellowship are saturated with the word of God, the heart of God. Week in and week out. We don't throw off all our scrutiny. As a matter of fact, we use it to its desired end. We scrutinize people. And I've shared this last week and I shared it before. I'll share it again. No one should be more scrutinized than the man who opens up the word of God and says, let's go to our text. Anyone who takes the responsibility, who is given the responsibility to preach for Christ, should be scrutinized more than any human being. Both morally and theologically. There's one more consideration before we move on to our text. The whole plan of redemption, your salvation, please listen, takes place within a kingdom context. Did you know that? Please tell me you did. Lie to me. Everything takes place with, did you know that, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? It's a trick question. Yes. Do you know he was a king before he was a Savior? Do you think he's king because he's savior, or he's savior because he was the king? Christ was always a king. The, wor- the angels worshipped him from all of eternity past. They worshipped him as the king. He took the role of the savior on for our sake, to restore us to the king, God the Father. Understand something. It's the whole plan of redemption is built around the context of a kingdom. 
And Jesus Christ is that king. And if you are born again, you are following Christ. You are a subject in the kingdom. And there are delegated authorities, aren't there, in every kingdom? Of course there are. Leaders are just delegated authorities to the true king, as verse 20 says it, to the great shepherd. Leaders, pastors are under shepherds of the great shepherd. That's all we are. To our text. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Most likely the writer of Hebrews is doing some problem solving when he writes this. As there were some within this congregation that were very divisive. They were setting the people against the leadership. And this is at the end of a long letter he gives a, a, a plea to obey and submit to your leaders. Don't pay attention to the faction that's distracting you. He calls them to obey and submit. It's a, devil, a double exhortation. What it does, it, it highlights the main point that these leaders are the ones we are to submit to. They have shown themselves doctrinally, morally. They are, they are following the, the great shepherd of the sheep. It's important to define who a leader is in the church for the sake of not the leader the sake of the church. It's not so a leader can walk around with prestige. It's so you know who to listen to. We come in here and the church is pretty defined. We know roles. We know leadership. We know who the elders. We know who the pastors are. Uh, church 2,000 years ago wasn't like this. You don't know who was coming through the door. They didn't have a set pattern of worship the way we do. They, were, they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have a threshold when you came in. They didn't have uh, who's the pastor. They didn't have any of that. Every time the door would open up, new people would come in. They had no idea. Most of the teaching came through traveling evangelists and itinerant preachers. It was very important to understand right doctrine. It was to understand who was the head of the church. This is a way of pointing to the people who, who have watch over their souls. It was a safeguard for the church. It was also to teach them how to respect leadership and not disrespect them. They, they were distinguished. And what the writer is doing, he's, just, he's distinguishing them as the first among equals. As opposed to the usurping of their roles that the divisive faction was doing. Obey speaks to the will. When he says obey, he's speaking to the will. To, to follow the instruction of your leaders with a simple childlike faith. Since they're living it out, and their doctrine and theology is right, and they're teaching you the grace of God, they're not teaching strange teachings about wash your hands and God accepts that, or the way you eat and God accepts that, or the way you dress and God accepts that, or to worship on a certain day of the week. No, no, it's, it's all about grace. Every sermon has to point to Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. That's what it means to be strengthened by grace. If Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice is left outside of the sermon... That is a graceless sermon. Everything points to one way, fashion or another, to Jesus Christ. Everything. 
His first coming, what He's doing right now with the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. His second coming, which we so brilliantly sung about today. That is all how our hearts are strengthened by grace. Not strength teaching what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to believe, not do anything. I'm supposed to believe what Christ has done for me. That gets me to move in the right direction. And I simply love to obey God. I simply love to obey leadership. Why? Because you're pointing to Christ. That's what fills the heart. And that's what he's teaching here. He speaks to the will when he says obey. When he says to submit, it's a different Greek word. And this is what it means. It means to speak to the heart, not to the will. It speaks to have a compliant heart, to have an attitude of willingness, to have a simple, like, not that you walk in with your boxing gloves on every time you're going to speak to a church leader. Like, oh, you know, it's like, sometimes I'm, <laughs> I'm going to speak to somebody, i got to put the gloves on for this one, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, it's a brokenness, a willingness to submit. It's not something we just do out of cold, mechanical, uh, attitude, but it's something like, how can I say? How can I really grasp how beautiful this is to have this willing and broken spirit of submissiveness? It's beautiful. You have to follow Christ because He did it the best. His Father always heard Him. Why? Because He always did the things that pleased Him. And that's what it's like to be pleasing, to be broken on the inside of the heart. Is to have a, a full heart attitude of willingness. As leaders, instruction is not good advice, though it can be good advice. When a leader gives instruction, it's not uh, a more, it's not a sort of uh, uh, pop psychology good advice. It's the will of God through exposition of Scripture. Understand that. Leading instruction is not just a good advice. Sometimes it can be good advice, but it is a will, will of God clearly fit, set forth in Scripture. The writer in 13 chapters, he either quotes explicitly or implicitly the Word of God 49 times. 49 in 13 chapters. Everything he has done has been a masterful exposition of the Old Testament concerning Christ. And understand it, and, and the proper New Testament exhortation to follow it. And that's what leaders do. It's expo- exposition with exhortation. It is explaining and then encouraging to live it out. And that's what he just did. That's what leaders do. Leaders show the will of God. Our authority is not based on, well, this is what I think is best for you. A leader takes you to the scriptures and breaks down the scripture and says, there's the will of God for your life. And trust me, it's good because I know the sweetness of it myself. That's what a leader does. Not the leaders Jesus pointed to. When he said the Pharisees seat themselves in the seat of Moses, he says, do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. Jesus taught us that. They were telling you the right thing. Unfortunately, Jesus don't live it. Leaders speak God's will through open exposition of Scripture. Like I said, which this letter is a perfect example of exposition, matter, exhortation, to faithful obedience and love. And they can see it firsthand by the godly role models that we've, we read about in verse 7, to imitate those who first spoke the word of God to you. 
He goes on to say, for they are keeping watch over your souls. The word watch in the Greek means to care for. It means to be alert. It means to actually to lie awake at night and lose sleep. That's interesting. It sounds like a parent to me. It means to be watchful. A leader is someone who's watching over the soul. That means the spiritual development of the Christian. What a picture of a tireless shepherd looking over the innocent flock at night as it slept and rested. And that's what a shepherd did. A shepherd didn't work as much in the daytime as he worked as much in the nighttime. That's when all the evil came. And after a long day, he would sleep with one eye open and one eye, one one arm on the on his staff, just waiting for intruders. And what a picture we have of a church leader. And as I was preparing this lesson, I tried to leave myself out of this, but I can understand that. A parent can understand how it is when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and the child is not home. Only a mother knows that. Only a father knows that. Only a concerned parent knows the anguish and the thoughts that go on in the heart when the child's not there. That's what a church leader does. You think it's any different. The church to a church leader is their child. The gospel becomes their children. More often than not, a church leader cares more for the sheep's soul than the sheep care for their own souls. How many 16-year-olds are really thinking about where they're going to be at 26? Come on. How many parents are concerned where their children are going to be? Same thing for a pastor. A pastor's concerned where people are going to be in two years, four years, five years, ten years in their Christian life. That's a genuine concern that keeps people up, keeps a pastor up tirelessly at night, praying and caring and crying and carrying the burden. The one that values a leader's input, I want you to understand this. This This will show you where... I don't want to get dogmatic. This is a good barometer on how you value your own soul. You ready to pass or fail? The one who values a leader's input of instruction, exhortation, and correction values their own souls. Values their spiritual growth. Values integrity, values purity, values honesty, values righteousness and holiness. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of under one rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool, Proverbs teaches us. When someone really values their soul and a godly leader instructs them and corrects them, they listen. Because they know it's right. Because it's right from the word of God. And it's coming right from a person that loved them weeks, months, and years. And they value that. Because they value their soul. 
When someone constantly hears instruction day in and day out and pays no attention to godly instruction coming from God's moral people, they don't even value their own soul. Compare, compare this to the divisive fraction that was there. They lost no sleep over the sheep. They don't care what was happening to them at night. They didn't care about their families. They didn't care about their righteousness. They didn't care about their purity. They didn't care about if Christ was being formed in them. They cared about their own opinions and their own reputations. He goes on. As those who will give an account, these are praying people. The high call to be a Christian leader is no whimsical role. It has consequences in this life and the next. James says, let no man desire to be a teacher of the word of God. Don't be too quick to be a teacher of the word of God. Be careful when you tell others this is the will of God. Be careful. Don't think. Jesus says it clearly. Every word ever spoken, every idle word that any man has ever said will be taken into account. There's consequences in this life and the next but an accountant of their ministry. Now listen to this. This is not about a fearful leadership who are uh, uh, fearful of being condemned by Jesus Christ at the judgment. This is not what the text is talking about. What he's saying, they will give an account. They have such a high regard for the great shepherd of the sheep that they watch and manage every word with prudence. They watch over your souls as though they were Christ himself. This is the deepest respect for the position. Not a fear of condemnation. Fear produces no love. Fear produces no grace. Fear produces no leadership. Fear produces no godly authority. Grace does. This is a deep respect for their position. He goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I want you to just look at that and interpret it for yourself. Take a moment. Remember, not all sheep are leaders, but all leaders are sheep within the church. We see here a clear connection between the emotional state of the leader an effective ministry. I don't want you to miss that. The emotional state of the leader and true effective ministry that brings joy. Let them do this. Let them do this ministry that Christ has given them to be an under-shepherd to you, not with groaning, with crying, with sighing, but let them do this with joy. So when they wake up in the middle of the night and they're watching over your soul, they have a sense of joy, not a burden, not a sense of despair and sorrow. 
you can see this is this is one of the clearest texts within the New Testament that speak to the emotional state of the Christian leader in connection with the sheep and effective ministry. The leader is so entwined, the pastor is so entwined with the sheep. The only thing I can say is what Proverbs 10.1 says. It says something like this. It says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son makes the mother sorrowful. And that's the kind of relationship that goes on. I mean, this is, this is such a hidden and under-realized dimension within Christian life of the true relationship between the congregation and their leaders. Remember what Jesus told Peter in John chapter 21. I think it's starting in verse 15. If you love me, Peter, what will you do? He says again, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. He goes, then tend my lambs. He asks him again a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep. What a great picture for a leader to understand of how close you have to be with God's people. You can't govern God's people from over here. You can't lord it over them saying, do this, and, and stop the drinking, stop the smoking, stop the cussing, stop the womanizing, stop the fornication. Stop, 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 stop. And then separate themselves. No, it's not that. It's, it's a face-to-face. It's, it's up close and personal relationships, hearts and minds and souls and families who come together and become one. That's Christianity. It's a body. It's a family. And that's how leadership takes place. He says this, for that would be no advantage to you. Advantage means it's unprofitable to you. The mindset of fighting against God's under-shepherds with a willful, rebellious heart in the end is more dangerous not to the leader but to the sheep. Though leaders can and will be discouraged from time to time, a Christian church or a Christian who is always in contention with the leaders ultimately pay the price. And this is why. Because as their life goes on, it becomes more reckless, more joyless, and the enemy of their soul, Satan, has a field day with a Christian that does not submit to Christian authority. Satan loves it. If you move fast forward to 1 Peter chapter 5, and it talks about, you know, God exalts who? The humble. And he lowers the pride. Do you know it's in connection with paying attention? to Christian leaders. That's the context. When he says, young men, obey the elders who are above you. For God is opposed to the proud, but he exalts the humble. How important it is when we 
don't submit, when we don't have a submissive heart, when we don't have an obeying heart, when we don't have a childlike faith, when we don't trust what the leaders are saying, we open ourselves up because pride goes before the fall and we open ourselves up to Satan because Satan can smell a prideful heart from 10 trillion light years away, but there's one thing he hates, there's one thing he can't see, is when a Christian walks in humility, Satan hates it, he can't wrap his arms around us, he can't smell us, he can't can't find us, he can't dig into us, and he absolutely hates it. But you give him one rebellious heart, and he just steps back and says, Praise, I got this one. It might take a week, it might take a month, it might take a year, but this will be this one's downfall. Satan loves it. Application. The relationship between sheep and shepherds has a potential of being extremely profitable or very unprofitable. To the sheep, it is a clear example on how to live and what to strive for in this reckless world of self and sin run wild. To the shepherds, I want you to listen to John 15. There's two verses of scripture. We're just going to throw them up there. John 15, 9, to the shepherds, it's true joy to watch others obey the voice of God. Listen to this. As the Father has loved me, here's Jesus, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Huh, that's the wrong scripture. Go to 1 John. Who put that up there? As we write these things so that our joy may be complete. He's talking about a leader's joy is complete when he sees God's people living in obedience. That is the greatest joy. That is no paycheck. Nothing can compare to watching a man follow the Lord. There is nothing a church leader wants at all. It's the greatest joy to my personal life when I see people walking in the truth, when I see people obeying God, when I see people honoring God. That is it. I don't need anything. I am as close to heaven as I can possibly get. But when I see Christians disobeying, willful, rebellious, it breaks me in pieces. And such is the leader's role. I'm going to close with a series of questions to reflect on. When it comes to application, I thought this would be the best mode to go by. How do you answer these questions? Does the reality of spiritual authority and our mutual submission to it, does it unnerve us or does it comfort us? To know you're called to obey spiritual authority, does it comfort you? To know there's protection, peace, and joy, and someone to watch and imitate? Or does it unnerve you because God might get too close to your life? Two. Do we think we can possibly keep a safe distance from godly leaders and be close to God? Number three. Do we ever think about if our reluctance to be obedient is a source of a leader's pain or a leader's joy. Number four. After spending time and counsel with a leader, does it cause them to sing or to groan? Number five. Have you experienced both the profit of obeying 
and the pain and disadvantage of disobeying. I have. You're not looking at some person that went from zero to 100 without his painful disobedience. I want to ask you that again. Have you experienced both the profit from obeying and the pain of disobeying godly leadership? Number six. Have you admired and found strength in a leader's virtue and example? As verse seven teaches us. Number seven. Do you have high expectations on leaders without any participation in the ministry? Because that's what those people... Do you remember the divisive faction? They love to point the finger, but they didn't lift the finger. It's the way it goes. I can teach a lot about... The New Testament says a lot about it, but I want to speak it to what we're doing here today. I have a question. How do we handle negative talk against the leader? How do we handle it? Do you become sheepish and fearful and agreeable? Or do you strongly disagree and take the back of a leader? That's a strong question for all of us. Because divisive people rarely go to the leader. They go to the congregation. They love to get the ears of people. Number nine. Two more minutes. Are you an encourager to leadership? Or someone who picks them apart and their ministry. Think about that. When it comes to a leader, there's a natural bent within the human heart to pick on the boss, to pick on the owner, to pick on the pastor, to pick on the father. It's, it's, it's a natural bent. Why is it? I'm glad the Bible goes, yeah, it's Adam's fault. It's the original sin. That's why. Last one. As verse 18 says, pray for us, he says. I I ask this question. How often do you pray for the leadership of your church? This is a true indicator of our appreciation for godly leadership. So think about that. How often do you pray for the leadership of your churches? Prayer is an indicator of where our heart is. Can we see in hindsight that the healthy authority figures in whatever realm we ever, ever went in? I'm going to do my closing remarks. Can you see in hindsight, after many years of just being alive, how influential, healthy school teachers bring value to your life? Work, home, athletics, military, and of course, church leaders, how they've been beneficial to us. I certainly can. I can see that where my life is is because God had put healthy authority figures in my life. Oh, if I would have had one, let me call it what it is. If every home had a healthy authority father figure, my goodness, man, the world would be a much better place, man. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the word that's always challenging us, Father God. We thank you for the joy and the peace and the harmony and the happiness it is to be a good disciple, Father God. 
to hear your voice and to see your virtues, to hear your will and to see your virtues being played out in front of us in godly leadership. God, let us know the joy of obedience. Let us know the sweetness of a submissive attitude towards your people, Father God. Always help us in this area. In Christ's name.